Hi, everybody. Welcome to the July 15, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the latest terrorist attack in Europe, where a truck plowed through a Bastille Day crowd, killing over 80 people and injuring scores of others. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, I know we're getting tired of kind of starting the show with more of this kind of uh, epic bad news from around the world. Uh, but as you look at the situation in uh, Nice and in France, uh, do you think this is going to... Uh, cause actually a, a, a bigger reaction from governments, from uh, from allies, especially you know, one of the key allies of France is the United States. Well, and you also begin to see just how many different things can become weapons. So you might be able to ban guns. Are we going to see a filibuster on the Senate floor against refrigerator trucks? I mean, it is so difficult to figure out how to keep the citizenry safe in any country and then add to it that it happened on Bastille Day in France. It just adds to the tragedy. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. What's the right response from the United States to support its ally in France? Oh, President Obama's already got Air Force One uh, warming up, and it's going to take James Taylor over to sing You've Got a Friend Again. For a, a legitimate response, for what has to be done, uh, Ronald K. Noble, the former uh, head of Interpol, uh, has said, and was my, I co-taught a course with him at New York University back in the 1990s, Two things. First of all, you have to do more target hardening, like Israel has done, um, and France was was doing. But you know, there, there's still more, and it, it's harsh to live in a society where there's that many checkpoints and things. But his view is that that's a necessary thing. It's certainly not sufficient um, in itself. And his view is that, based on, for example, the Westgate Mall massacre in Kenya, uh, where hundreds of lives were saved because there were armed citizens there, uh, that that's the second thing that needs to be done. And of course, the the truck, actually the driver of the truck was the perpetrator, not the truck itself, uh, stopped when the driver was shot enough times, uh, but he went for over a mile before there was enough police in the right positions to shoot him. If you have more people who can start shooting the terrorists immediately, the terrorists stop sooner. It's, but it's certainly going to be, a, you can't count on governments to do anything. Uh, Obama hasn't been very effective about this. He apologized uh, for killing the, with a drone strike, the guy who wrote the Al-Qaeda magazine article. Um, which laid out the technique for these attacks using trucks. Penn Tate joins us, attorney with QTech Rock, also a long-time state lawmaker. Uh, I've heard it was some reports, Penn, that uh, the attack here in Nice, uh, there in Nice, and in Istanbul um, might be signs of actually a threatened ISIS, that there's actually been progress in finding them in Syria and Iraq, that this you know, might be lashing out from there. Is, can we take hope in that, this, that there, it actually might be weakening, or is it going to get worse before it gets better? Well, I think it'll get worse before it gets better, consistent with just the concept you put forward. Uh, I, I think it, that efforts to, to go after ISIS and ISIL and others have ramped up and have been more effective, but 
these groups aren't going to go away quietly. They aren't going to, you know, throw a white flag out and surrender and say, gee, you've killed enough of our people. We think we'll quit and go home now. Um, for better or for worse, it's going to have to call for the complete elimination of these threats. And I think David's right in that regard. I do think we've made some progress. But the tragedy in Nice um, and what's happened in Turkey and other places continue to tell us that we live in a global society where not being safe is not the point. Not having a consensus in terms of the actions that need to be taken to keep us all safe wherever we are is the point. And so, you know, we, we spent some time the last few weeks talking about the European Union and their financial meltdown and crisis with the UK withdrawing. There are other reasons to, to remain unified in this global environment, not just financial management. And so I, I think that lesson's being driven home again this time. Ed Sealiver Brown's at the panel from the Denver Business Journal. Wrap it up for us. Well, I think the U.S., uh, in, uh, especially during the Bush administration, had called on its allies to help it fight back against terrorist organizations, especially after we were attacked in 2001. I think maybe it ought to be listening this time. If, if France is really, and, and President Hollande has uh, uh, said before, it is time to declare war on ISIS. And if they can come up with a ground plan, uh, ask us to help them come up with a game plan that could take the fight to them, I think it may be time that we start listening because while France and Belgium and Istanbul have been the sites of these attacks, uh, it is only a matter of time before something is carried out here on the U.S. soil. Something more in beyond Orlando. You're absolutely right. Donald Trump confirmed rumors on Friday naming Indiana Governor Mike Pence as his vice presidential running mate. It was also announced that U.S. Senate, Darryl, US Senate candidate Daryl Glenn will have a prime speaking opportunity at next week's RNC convention. Meanwhile, an effort by some Colorado delegates to change the rules to allow another nominee failed on Thursday. Patty, we have Pence, Glenn, failed rules. Uh, take your pick. Well, Pen the Pence delayed and back on uh, announcement was probably just the first of the many things we're going to see uh, because of the problems in um, Nice. Imagine the security at the Republican National Convention and what they're doing to ramp it up right now. So Trump had taken away the big, elaborate announcement he was going to make and then decided because it leaked so much. Not a big surprise. Interesting, though, that he didn't take Gingrich, who I think would have been maybe added something to the ticket. Uh, I don't think Pence does a lot for him right now. As for Daryl Glenn speaking... You know, a up-and-coming black politician from Colorado, it's not going to hurt. But the Colorado options weren't all that plentiful because many of our Colorado representatives are only going for maybe a day or two. I think Ken Buck is the only one who is going to be there through the whole convention. Some are avoiding it altogether. So it's going to be fascinating theater, um, political theater, but it's almost impossible to imagine how the Republican Party is going to emerge and what it's going to look like after that convention. I completely agree. I mean, even just the rumors of Tim Tebow, I mean, the, the random Colorado connections that really entertained me yesterday because be there, he sorry. won't be there. Yeah, Tim Tebow will not be there. That was just a rumor, uh, probably disappointing dozens of people. Uh, now, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people who actually want to hear Tim Tebow speak, but you hear uh, the Colorado delegation, only, like you said, only two showing up. I think only Ken Buck staying the entire time. Uh, it's, it's the, the reaction should be interesting. David, what do you make of what we've seen so far from the Colorado delegation and that Daryl Glenn is four months ago outside of El Paso County. I'm not sure many people could have known who he was. And four months later, he might be speaking near or in prime time at the RNC convention. That's huge. Well, Tim Tebow is a uh, 
man with a lot of strong moral convictions, and he's not running for office, so very wise for him not to be associated with a man of no moral convictions. Um, the running mate choice for both Hillary and uh, Dare Donald is important because of the we've never had a, a pair uh, of candidates so likely to end their presidency by being impeached uh, because of their fundamentally lawless nature. So uh, Mike Pence would be a good replacement uh, for Donald Trump as president. In fact, if the Republicans had any common sense, which obviously they don't, they would nominate him and he would defeat Hillary in a landslide. You can be against Pence for all the reasons you're against Republicans in general or conservative Republicans, but he's a normal human being, not a psychopathic narcissist, which puts him ahead of the, the two front runners. Um, I think it's a good move for Daryl Glenn because Michael Bennett, A, has only 38% of the Coloradans believe he deserves to be reelected, which is unusually low and a high vulnerability thing. But Glenn needs lots of money and it, Bennett has a huge fundraising advantage. This is Glenn's chance to go out and give a great speech, become a national star, just like Barack Obama did at the 2004 Democratic Convention when he was just a, a state senator running for U.S. Uh, Senate. Penn, is this a, an epic opportunity for Daryl Glenn? Um, what do you think? Uh, it is. But the thing to remember is um, President Obama uh, made his sort of um, foray into the public consciousness four years before he ran for the presidency. So he was first seen on center stage, then it was later that he ran for office. Daryl Glenn doesn't have that opportunity. He's got to make a showing, and then he's got to run and win. And it's a, it's a tight situation for him. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the Republican Party is doing the right thing by highlighting him because they want to keep control of the Senate. They need to take that seat just because of some of the other seats that are up. Um, and Daryl Glenn probably didn't even poll well in Colorado. Most people don't know who he is, so it can't hurt him to be on national TV. There, there's another interesting thing when you look at, at all of this from my perspective, and I won't go quite as far as David went, but I will say that I think Donald Trump's been real clear he wants to run the world. I would say rule the world, but that may be a little bit strong, but he clearly wants to run the world. He wants to run the world from the Oval Office. Uh, and, and so, you know, the, the selection of Pence is his effort to tell sort of the standard bears in the Republican Party. Hey, I may be nuts, but I'm your nut. And look, at least I will hire well. Uh, I got a guy who's, who's going to be my number two, so if something happens to me, you'll at least be comfortable with him. And this is an indication that when I'm there, I'm not going to hire all lunatics, and, and you know, I, I'll ramp it back a little bit. I'll hire some, as David says, real human beings to, you know, occupy cabinet positions and do this sort of thing. So he's trying to credential himself. But the fundamental problem that we're seeing with the RNC convention, it is, Patty's right, it's going to be fascinating, but our own delegation shows you this. With only Ken Buck going for the whole time and Cory Gardner is going for like a day or two, every other Republican is trying to find some place where they want to meet with constituents at a coffee shop somewhere in the state, someplace they've probably never been before. But the conundrum is this. The, the Republican Party probably wants to run the world with Donald Trump, but the problem is they know they can't do it with him. So do you take that approach or do you take the Paul Ryan approach, which is show up on TV, say, uh-huh, this is our guy, pray that he loses so that you can run for president in four years? <laughs> uh, and when you look at the, the, what Colorado has been in this election so far for just on the Republican side of things, um, the delegates that tried 
failed miserably, but tried to change the rules of the convention. We're from Colorado. Uh, the Colorado Republicans at the state convention all went with, with Ted Cruz. Uh, it's still a thorn in Donald Trump's side since he was here last week. Are Colorado Republicans going to pay a price for that during this campaign if Donald Trump is at the top of the ticket and at least helping to organize some of the money, some of the efforts. Well, I, I make no mistake about it. I think that his selection of Mike Pence as his running mate gives a strong indication that Colorado is not going to be a factor in Donald Trump's plan to win the presidency this year. He went with what is actually probably a good idea. He wanted somebody from a Midwestern state, a, a Republican official who can appeal more to that blue-collar populist side of his campaign. Um, uh, and, and by doing so, he kind of set out, look, I'm going for Indiana, I'm going for Ohio, I'm going for Wisconsin. Um, I may not be going for Colorado at this point. I mean, this is clearly, I mean, when he was in town at the Western Conservative Summit the other week, he actually said, I'm going to spend a lot of time in Illinois, which somebody had to choke on at the RNC when they heard that. But it tells you that he's going for these Rust Belt Union blue-collar states, and, and Colorado is way outside of his playbook right now. Now, the question about Mike Pence is an interesting one. I, I see optically exactly why he chose a Midwestern uh, governor, but I think it really speaks to the weakness of this campaign that the governor he chose is Mike Pence. Anybody else in the Republican Party who would have had their pick of anyone to ride with them would have gone with Scott Walker or possibly with John Kasich, who spent the last seven months running for vice president, essentially. But those two wouldn't be seen anywhere near Donald Trump at this point. And so the, he basically got a third-tier candidate in his plan to win the Midwest at this point. And uh, and I think essentially says goodbye to Colorado at this point. As you see polls putting him down 7 to 13 points, I think he's going to focus elsewhere. A Harper's Point survey of Colorado voters earlier this month showed Hillary Clinton with a six-point lead over Donald Trump and Senator Michael Bennett with a seven-point lead over Daryl Glenn. Unfavorables for both Clinton and Trump remain high, but undecideds in both races only hover about 15 points in each poll. Uh, David... Is it? I, I realize this is July. The the polls that we see right now are not about November. But is this going to be telling when it comes to momentum and fundraising and strategy this time of year? Yes, uh, Trump is doing terribly in Colorado for all the reasons Ed said. It, it, it's the Republicans in the state don't like him, and nor does it many other people uh, like him. Back in 1992, George H. W. Bush, who was a weak candidate got only 36% of the vote in Colorado in a three-way race against Bill Clinton and Ross Perot. 36%, pretty lame for, for, you know, the major party nominee. Trump, in a race where you include Gary Johnson and Jill Stein, is at 28%. He's a miserable loser in Colorado and has, I think, no chance to carry it, although you can't rule out the possibility that Hillary Clinton could finally get caught in some other crime for which the American people might say enough is enough. But I, I think Gary Johnson in throughout the Rocky Mountain states is going to be a very strong candidate. And even nationally, Gary Johnson, the former Republican governor of New Mexico, and like Mike Pence, actually not a narcissistic psychopath, which gives him a big edge on the character <laughs> side, uh, he's leading among millennials. And sorry, he's, he's in second place among millennials. He's in second place among independents. And he's hovering just under that 15% threshold in the polls, which would get him into the debates. Mm -hmm. And given the widespread national dissatisfaction with both of the uh, old party nominees, um, if he can get into the debates, I think there will be a lot of Americans who say, well, 
He's not perfect, but he, he's, he's not as horrible. Uh, he's not horrible like these guys. He'll, he'll just be wrong sometimes, uh, but he's not a menace to the republic. <laughs> menace to the republic. I like that. Not the, not the lesser of two evils. Um, Penn, this poll was taken, this specific poll was taken pretty close to one of uh, Hillary's worst weeks on the campaign. The whole email thing at the FBI, and even though there were no charges recommended, it, didn't, it was not good optics. It was headline news everywhere else. Um, and she's still ahead. If does her campaign consider this smooth sailing, at least in Colorado for now? I don't think you consider it smooth sailing, but I think you clearly um, say that the worst is probably behind you. I mean, let's look at it. This whole email issue been going on for, it feels like, years. Um, and she had wanted to go to Congress and deal with Congress, didn't want to deal with it. The report finally comes out, and, and I think it's fair to say the report was scathing. But at the end of the day, you had the director of the FBI who said, we're not filing criminal charges, and no responsible prosecutor would bring charges based on this set of facts. I think most Americans had factored that there was something unseemly about the email situation into their thinking and perception of Hillary Clinton, which is why her numbers are, in my opinion, as low as they are relative to Donald Trump, who takes delight in, you know, inviting scorn every time he speaks. So I, I think the worst is probably behind her. The convention, the RNC convention is going to be interesting because I think, you know, as we talked about Trump before, you know that the party regulars, the diehards, uh, the, uh, and probably the folks who ought to be there who aren't, like George Will and Mitt Romney and the two Bushes, they're dying to see a script written and Trump give a speech, a speech, not remarks, a speech that is written and tailored to hit on points and talk about themes. The question is, does he have it in him, or is David correct? Is he a psychopathic narcissist who's just going to jump up there and say whatever he feels like because he's the nominee? And I think that's going to be a huge um, turning point for this election. If he gets off script or has no script and starts rambling for 45 minutes of prime time, I think it's, he's doomed. Ed, uh, we have seen uh, Daryl Glenn, I mean, the other side of this whole polling story here, um, he was unapologetic in the debates, saying, I'm not looking to compromise with the other side of the aisle. Uh, and even after the primary said, I'm not pivoting to the center. I am who I am. I'm going with it. Can that win in Colorado? I'm not going to say it can't win. Colorado has elected conservative and liberal senators before. We're a state that, within a matter of four years, put both Gary Hart and Bill Armstrong in the U.S. Senate. True. Um, so Coloradans are willing to take a chance on people who may be outside their ideological comfort zone. I think Glenn's bigger problem uh, is that people just don't know him. And this is a guy who is going into this race with almost no money right now. I mean, there is, what was the turnout? 22% for the Republican primary this year? Um, a lightly watched primary. Uh, the guy now has to meet the rest of the state. And the first thing people will see is El Paso County Republican. And that'll lose some people before they ever get a chance to meet him. Um, Colorado also really likes uh, its resumes. I mean, you know, we, we haven't thrown a governor out of office since the 50s. We, uh, we consistently reelect our U.S. senators. 
years, except for 2014. And even then, uh, we replaced a sitting U.S. senator with an up-and-coming U.S. House rep. So it's not like somebody who didn't have a lot of experience. 20 of our last 24 congressional new electees have come from uh, a state house background. I don't know that people are going to look at Glenn's resume when stacked up against Bennett and be as impressed. And certainly there are people who will say, I like the guy who's closer to the public. He spent 13 years in the city council and the county commission, and that's good. But I think a lot of Coloradans might be looking for something bigger and heftier on there. So uh, I... I don't think his conservatism will kill him if he is straightforward with his message, but he's got to do a lot of the more political things in terms of branding and fundraising in order to get that message across. Patty, again, like I said, the July polls don't tell you about November, but if they continue to go that way, where we have both Trump and Glenn behind at least several points, more than a, more than a half dozen, is Colorado going to maintain its swing state Aura? I think we have a swing country right now. We're not going to have to worry about the one swing state. I mean, no one could have imagined sitting at this table a year ago that we would be about to hear Donald Trump at the Republican National Convention as the presidential nominee. Um, we have a really good, Penn has a really good point, which is the speech that Trump gives, if indeed it can be called a speech, is going to be fascinating and could really affect the outcome. If he gets up and rambles the way he did in at the Western Conservative Summit, where he went on and on, did, wasn't really geared to the audience. If he doesn't gear it to the audience he's speaking to this time, which is the Republican committee and the country, he's going to be in trouble. It won't hurt Daryl Glenn to be there. He, By all accounts, he's a good speaker. I'm not sure it's going to make that much difference either, because people are going to be numb at a certain point following what's going on in Cleveland. True. We've been a little bit chatty today, so we're going to go to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. But be sure to tune in to CIO Postgame. That is our special web-exclusive segment, uh, part of the show that we were able to get to today, all about Mayor Hancock's State of the City, another big part of our uh, uh, week this week. We'll definitely be talking about that. So be sure to tune in for CIO Postgame. That will be online, Facebook, uh, Twitter, the works. Uh, so let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. I'm going to return to homegrown terrorism of a really inexplicable kind when you go to the Aurora shootings. So that is four years ago next week, and we have a fight right now going over who's going to pay the legal bills for the case that was filed by survivors in the Cinemark, uh, against Cinemark. And maybe the people who should pay it are not the survivors who filed the suit, but the lawyers who took it, and the lawyers on the other side who also ramped up the fees, because you think the survivors, the family members of something like that, just adding this insult to injury. David? The CU football players who claimed that they were on a plantation because supposedly CU football uh, helps pay for other sports at CU, like, like golf or, or gymnastics. You know, it's a pretty good deal that you get to go to a school like the University of Colorado, a high-quality school, for free uh, and not on your academic merit. These are not academic scholarships. These are scholarships for playing a sport. If you don't like playing a sport and getting a free college education, well, go to the best school you can get into, uh, you know, some community college in California, which won't lower its admission standards uh, to have an entertainer uh, at the school. Penn. Interesting. Um, the same thing, but for a different reason. The fact that CU is finally acknowledging that that is part of a system and a perception that exists. Having grown up in Boulder, that, that perception of African, by African-American athletes has been there for a long, long time. 
a very long time. And it's just stunning that all of a sudden Chancellor DiStefano says that he was shocked to hear these comments. Um, if you were closer to the student athletes you brought on campus, and unfortunately, unfortunately, many of them who don't get degrees, you would have known that's been a long-held perception. CU needs to wake up and start dealing with these things. Ted. I'm going to go with the two idiots who started the Cold Springs fire, admitted on camera, oh, yeah, that might have been us, and then seemed shocked that they were charged with this. I think we should, uh, whatever the legal system is going to do, it will do. I think we should make these two guys rebuild the structures that were burnt down by their carelessness. Not a bad idea. Uh, let's get to uh, say something nice about somebody. Patty? Uh, another anniversary, and this one a much better one. The renovation of Union Station is two years old now, and there's a big festival this weekend. Definitely an asset to this city. David. Denver University, which once again won the Learfield Sports Director's Cup for its outstanding team performances in all kinds of athletics like skiing, hockey, and gymnastics, and without having a football team, which typically is a financial drain on a school, not a uh, financial resource. Penn. President Obama and Jamila Harris for the conversations they're having about race in America long overdue, particularly in light of the murder of the police officers. We, we need to have some serious conversation of what, about what ails us as a country. Ed. History, History Colorado, which this week launched a series of happy hour gatherings aimed to bring younger and newer members into it, but unlike some other attractions here, still focused on its primary purpose, promoting the history of Colorado. It's a good way to get people interested in the subject. As we close tonight, I want to pass along some thoughts uh, for myself. Jay Patchett, the father of one of our own, Larry Patchett, passed away last week. The reason I bring him up is that you can see Jay's impact on our Time Machine shows on a regular basis. We're up for an Emmy this weekend, in fact, for our 1940 show from last year. In that program, our sponsor is Packard Automobiles, who had the tagline, Ask the Man Who Owns One. Well, Jay Patchett proudly owned a Packard, even using it on his paper route as a 19-year-old in Oklahoma. Larry and his family laid his father to rest this week, and on behalf of everyone on the show, we just wanted to recognize Jay and, of course, everything he's meant to the station. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and for our CIO postgame segment on Twitter and Facebook. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.